welcome you here today. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis. And uh, if this is your first time, uh, a great big welcome to you. Uh, I'm excited. We're starting a brand new series today in the book of Philippians. Uh, if you've got your own Bible and you want to get there with us now, uh, we'll start in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to tell you kind of about an important move uh, that we're making here uh, at Genesis Church, our Noblesville campus. Uh, we're growing. And uh, it's really exciting to see all of the growth, uh, even with starting a brand new campus, a second campus this summer in Carmel, and uh, something like 130 people left here to go and help launch this new campus. Uh, One of the things that many other churches that have gone before us have told us is that when you're growing and when you make a move like this, don't be surprised that even though 130 people will go and be planted to be a part of something new, those seats will quickly fill in and your church is going to keep growing. And that's what we're experiencing uh, here at Genesis Church. And, and it presents a challenge. It's a great challenge. These are awesome challenges to have as a church. Uh, but here's what we know. We know that 60% of our Sunday morning attendance right now is right here at our 1030 service. And uh, we know it's obvious that this is the, the popular time uh, for people to worship, and, uh, and, but it's a challenge. And so we've made some adjustments. We've put as many chairs in this room uh, as we can. Uh, we've encouraged people to attend both 9 and 12, which some uh, were willing to do. But uh, after talking with other churches and after discussing this for a while, we've realized that we need to make a move in our Sunday morning times uh, to really create, to move from one really optimal hour of worship in order to have two. And so you may have already seen this in your worship program, but I'm here to announce today that in two weeks on Sunday, November the 25th, we're actually going from three services to two services, but we believe these are going to be two more popular choices for people, and we're going to be offering worship services, two identical services at 9.30 and 11.15. And again, this will start Thanksgiving weekend. And our hope is, our hope is this, that you, uh, that all of us will see, hey, two very popular choices and that we'll see uh, an even split even in our Sunday morning attendance. And we really believe that this is going to give us the opportunity to grow by as many as another 100 and 150 people uh, in some of the coming weekends. Now, I want to tell you that while I feel like this is our best move and a really good move for us right now uh, here in Noblesville, I do want to emphasize to you that I believe this is a temporary move. Uh, That as we keep growing, I believe that we will come to a place where two services uh, will not be enough for us. And so I'm just asking you to pray. Uh, I'm just asking you to pray for wisdom and pray for those next steps. Uh, What I know is this. uh, Genesis Church has never been a church that has said, hey, we've got enough or we're not willing to make room for more. And so we will continue to do everything we can to make sure that anyone, everyone that comes in here on a Sunday's has a seat. So again, Sunday, November 25th, that's two weeks from today. We're going to move from three services to two services. Those will be identical and those will be at 930 and 1115. And we hope and pray that one of those uh, will be a great choice for you. Hey, will you join me in prayer as we get uh, rolling today? God, again, we thank you for this day today and we see this and believe this as a gift from you. Uh, Thank you that we can come here into this room and worship and open up our hearts to you to see people that we love and uh, to enjoy being a community, one church together. Uh, God, I thank you on this Veterans Day. We thank you, Lord, uh, for all the men and women who have served and even those who are serving today all around the world. Uh, We thank you for their commitment. Uh, We thank you for their sacrifice. God, we enjoy and we are so grateful uh, for the freedoms that we enjoy here today, not only on a Sunday, but uh, all throughout our week. And uh, most importantly, we know these come from you and that you've blessed us. And we say thank you today. 
Uh, God, I thank you for the great work that you're doing at Genesis Church here on our Noblesville campus and even in our Carmel campus. We lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ to you today as they're meeting right now uh, and pray for your work there, your continued work. God, thank you for your work here in Noblesville. Lord, we pray you keep stretching us and uh, show us how we can welcome others, how we can welcome one another and that you'll keep growing this community and that we glorify you uh, in everything that we do. And God, as we start uh, in Philippians today, Um, I know and I believe that there are some people here this morning who are really hurting right now. And they're going to read these words maybe from um, a situation, maybe like some of us can't even understand. But God, we know that you are good, that your truth is good and right and perfect for every single one of us. And so I pray that you would open up our hearts today and over these coming weeks to hear from you, God, and to see how we can live our lives for you with faith in you and trust in you for all things. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know how to drive a stick shift? By a show of hands. All right, a lot of people. Although I'm seeing some spouses turn to the... You don't know how to drive a stick shift. What are you talking about? Um, I remember when I learned how to drive a stick shift, but it took a long time. Uh, I was in high school, and I had a couple of buddies that, well, their car, they they had a stick shift, and uh, so they tried to teach me, and I remember how enjoyable of an experience that was for them. Uh, to laugh and to watch me try and learn to drive a stick. Because if you've ever tried or you know how, well, for me, it was just that challenge. It was the timing of the clutch and the gas, the clutch and the gas. I mean, just that perfect timing. And so how many times did I kill that car and that car shook or, you know, and they would just laugh and laugh. Well, I got to the point where it's like, I'm never going to learn with help like this, all right? I mean, this sort of pressure time and time again. And so I was working for this delivery company at the time, and they had an S10 pickup truck, and it was a stick shift. And I was determined that I was going to learn how to drive that stick. And so there would be these days and these times where I'd be scheduled to go out and do a delivery, and I'd take that S10 all by myself because I just knew that if I could get out by myself on the road, I, I knew what I needed to do. It was just learning how to do it. It was just learning that timing. And sure enough, wouldn't you know it, over time, with a lot of practice and with a lot stalling out at stoplights, I learned how to drive a stick and, well, probably ruined an S10 pickup uh, in the process. But that's another story. Well, today we're starting a brand new series here at Genesis Church that we're calling Shift. Uh, And over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at the book of Philippians, kind of highlighting some of the uh, more important verses, or just at least for today or for this season, most important verses uh, out of these four chapters. And again, we're calling this series Shift, and I want to say from the beginning that I'm going to do my very best to enunciate that word very carefully over the next few weeks. Uh, We're trying to spell check very well in the worship program. We realize even the absence of one letter could make for a very memorable morning here uh, at Genesis. So we're going to do our best. But uh, we're talking about the book of Philippians, and uh, as we get started in it, what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of context, because I believe that context is very important for us in reading this. Uh, The Apostle Paul, if you're taking notes, is the writer of Philippians, and to best grasp these words from Paul, um, I think it's important that you understand what's happening in his life and around his life when he writes these words. Because if we can better understand his circumstances, um, I think you're going to appreciate even more what he has to say. 
All right, the book of Philippians is a letter. Uh, It's an epistle. You maybe have heard others use that word before. It's a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the Christians who lived and made up the church in Philippi. We've got a map here uh, just to kind of show you the ancient Mediterranean region. And over to the far left, the arrow points out the city of Rome. This is where Paul is writing this letter, this epistle from. And and they're kind of in the middle uh, is the uh, city or the uh, village or whatever of Philippi where Paul is writing to. Now, you might remember from the big church series that Paul was called by God, by Jesus, to preach the gospel message. And so what he would do is he would travel all throughout this Mediterranean region, and along the way he would meet other people, he'd bring them together, and they would start these churches. He he was a church planter. He helped to start this church in Philippi. And I just think that's kind of exciting because that's what we're about here at Genesis 2. And over nine years ago when Genesis started, the people of this church from the very beginning decided that Genesis would not end with the square footage of any particular building, but that we would be a church that's about reproducing and multiplying other churches, other campuses, other locations. And it's just really cool to see that we've been able to get started in that, again, with what's happening over in Carmel right now and 200-some people that are there worshiping every week. I'm so excited that we get the opportunity to help Josh and Heidi Tan Uh, go to the south side of Indianapolis to plant a church. And we've been talking about, you know, what would happen? What would it look like if we were to, what if we were able to help start 20 new things over the next 20 years? It's what it means to be a reproducing, multiplying sort of a church. Well, Paul helped start this church in Philippi around 52 AD, which is about 20 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you got to know that Paul loved this church deeply. I mean, he had great affection for this church. He held a special love for the people of Philippi and for all the people. And you're going to see signs of this deep love and appreciation as we read through this letter together. And while Paul planted the church in Philippi in 52 AD, I think it's also worth pointing out that he's actually writing this letter to the Philippians 10 years later. All right, so we're around 62 AD when Paul writes, and he's writing in response to something that that the people of Philippi had done for him. You know, Paul was in a time of significant need. All right, he had extreme need in his life, and the people of Philippi learned this. They took up a generous offering for Paul, and they sent it to him. Now, it was not Paul's practice to accept accept these sort of gifts, but because he had such a strong relationship with these people, with the people of Philippi, and because he was in extreme need, he received their gift, And part of the reason for writing Philippians was to show appreciation. And so Philippians, really, when you look at it, is like one really big thank you sort of a note. Now, as we read through the book of Philippians, and I would encourage you to do that on your own. In fact, I think it'd be a great practice as you leave here today. Just read Philippians 1 all week long. Read it every day. You know, and then Philippians 2 next week, and then the following week, 3 and 4. And if you want to get ahead, go ahead and do that. But one of the themes that you're going to see as you read this, as we discuss this together, has everything to do with the word joy. All right, in fact, the key word, if you had to pick one key word for the book of Philippians, it's the word joy. And you're going to see this word joy or rejoice or similar words at least 19 different times in this letter. But he's talking about personal joy. I mean, this is Paul's personal joy. And what's crazy is that you're going to see joy coming from a man who had everything and every reason in the world to complain. And so right from the start of this, right from the start of this series, I want to give you a piece of information that I think will help you as you read this. And it's an important detail that will give you some insight and at least some perspective into Paul's writing. 
But before I do that, let me just ask you this. Have you ever known of someone but not really known them? And, And because you know of them but you don't really know them, well, because of just who we are, you make some judgments of them. I mean, you know, maybe there's a particular impression they've left. I mean, maybe, you know, to, to know of someone but not really know them, I mean, maybe it's somebody you go to school with, you know, and so it's the way they act or the way they react or something or maybe the way they dress. And because of what you've seen, first impressions, like you might not really know them, but you know of them, and so you make some decisions based on them. Maybe you work with somebody, maybe you've worked for someone in the past, and you don't really know them, but you know of them, and again, you just hear the way that they talk, and so, again, we all do this, and you know, we make decisions based on rumors or, again, first impressions, but, but then one day you get to know them, and you realize how wrong you were. You know, I mean, maybe you end up marrying that person, you know. I mean, you, you didn't really like them when you first met them, but you got to know them and you found out, hey, this is somebody that I could marry. Your perspective changes when you get to know them. Or how about this? Have you ever had a, a bad day? Like a bad day where maybe you have a, a fight, a, a small fight with your spouse in the morning or maybe on the way to work. Um, the engine light comes on and by the end of the day you discover you need a new transmission or, you know, I mean, something happens at work. I mean, something that you weren't expecting. And so... To you, it feels like everything's falling apart in one day. And, and in and of themselves on their own, maybe they're not as big of a deal, but when they start compounding on one another, I mean, it just feels like life is slipping away until you get home and you watch the news and you hear the story of a guy, a dad, who's killed in a car accident on the way home from work. And then you think about a wife who now has lost a husband and kids that have lost a dad. And, well, just that sort of perspective changes things. I mean, all of a sudden, your day doesn't look so bad after all. Or do you have kids? I mean, and, and when I say kids, maybe more than one kid. So, I mean, you, you've got a few kids, but if you have a few kids, do you remember what it was like to have one? I mean, do you remember how as much as you loved them, like they made you take them home from the hospital, made him, him or her, and, and then you realize that like life will never again ever be the same. I mean, yeah, like I'm never going to sleep more than three hours and, and, and this is difficult. What have we gotten ourselves into? But then you have two or you have three or four and then grandma comes along and one day she takes two or three of them from you home for the weekend and maybe you're left with one and when you're left with one you're like why did we ever think this was difficult like i mean this is the easiest thing in the world you can see how perspective changes things for all of us it's a shift in the way that you see things what i want to do today is i want to give you an important piece of information that's going to change the way you look and read paul's words for you and me and for these philippians because if you didn't know it already Paul was writing this joy-filled, encouraging letter from prison. Okay, so every time you read this, you've got to be reminded each time, every phrase, every verse, that he is writing this from prison. In fact, Acts 28 shows us that he spent two years uh, under house imprisonment simply for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's writing this letter from prison. Now, what does imprisonment mean for Paul? Uh, It's two years in chains. I mean, 24 hours a day, he is chained to a Roman soldier. That's how house arrest worked in ancient Rome. And if you know a little bit about Paul, you know that his greatest dream was to be out on the streets preaching the gospel. I mean, his dream was to go to Rome and to lead people to Jesus Christ. But instead, he's in Rome as a prisoner. All right? He can't go anywhere. And what we're going to see as we read through this book together is a guy who is really mature in his faith and in his thinking And you're going to see and hear from a man who, when he faced significant challenges and trials, 
still managed to honor God and find joy in his heart no matter what. And the key is that there's a secret ingredient here. Like Paul's got something going on in his life. I mean, where does Paul find this supernatural ability to find joy and hope and courage, even in the middle of tough times? It's in his relationship with Jesus Christ. Like that's the foundation for Paul. That's the secret ingredient for Paul. His purpose in life was found in no one else, nothing else other than Jesus Christ. It's his relationship with Jesus that is the secret ingredient that gives him perspective. And it's what gives him, what gave him the ability to see life in this way. Here's what I've been praying for for you today. I am praying that over the next few weeks that God would give you the ability to see life, to see your circumstances, to see any difficult situation you might find yourself in now with a brand new set of lenses. That he'll give you the eyes to see in a brand new way. I'm praying that the Spirit of God would work in your life with such power and with such authority that he would give you the ability, he will change the way you view the events of your life right now. And like for Paul, God can give you the ability to change the way you see things in this world because it's really about a shift in your thinking. It's about a shift in your perspective. So let's get started together in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to tell you right from the start, we're going to jump around every bit. We're not going to cover every single verse. You can do that on your own, but we're going to try and hit a bunch of these high points. Uh, But here's how it begins. Paul's writing again to the Philippians. This is a letter uh, starting in Philippians 1, beginning in verse Uh, 2. Let's pick it up. Here's what he says. He says, grace and peace to you. From God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace and peace is a standard Greek and Hebrew uh, sort of a greeting that Paul often used. Grace refers to God's undeserving favor towards us. It's his undeserving kindness uh, that he shows to sinners like you and me. Peace refers to the peace that Jesus made possible between you and God, between me and God when he gave his life on the cross. Now, grace is often misunderstood in our lives. We often misunderstand grace as luck. All right, so we'll look at certain things that happen in our lives or in other people's lives, and we'll often categorize it as luck. Now, peace is often misidentified as the absence of conflict. But for the believers in Philippi today, Paul reminds us that the blessings that you and I enjoy in our lives are not the result of luck. It's grace. And peace is not limited to the absence of anxiety for anyone, but peace peace is something that God can put in your heart, producing contentment in Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting when you think about it, because let's remember that Paul's writing this letter from prison, and the Philippians didn't have it easy either. I mean, these, these Philippians were experiencing great persecution for their faith and their beliefs, but Paul greeted them enthusiastically with the assurance of grace and peace. Verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Again, Paul had incredible love and respect for these people. He planted the church, and we believe that he spent significant time with the Philippians on at least three different occasions. And then in verse 4, he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Now, there's our key word. Again, joy, if you're taking notes, is the theme of the book of Philippians. Now, what's joy? Well, a dictionary would define joy as happiness. It'd probably be your first reaction. That's my first reaction to this word. It's, it's happiness. But in the Bible, the words joy and happiness are really quite distinct because happiness is based on our circumstances. I mean, we're, we're, we're happy. For example, when life is going well, I mean, when you find out you get a pay raise or maybe you an ace a test 
or, or something at school. I mean, you might feel happy, but when life is hard or when life gets difficult, I mean, we usually lose that feeling and end up angry or sad or, or anxious. But true joy, the type of joy that Paul's going to talk about all through this letter, rises above our circumstances. True joy keeps us balanced no matter how happy or how sad we might feel about any situation in life. Happiness in life, you know, represents a horizontal sort of perspective. You know, it's what I see and my circumstances going on around me each and every day. But joy reflects a vertical perspective. It's this vertical perspective. I'm not just going to see the things happening around me, but I'm... I'm also going to keep in line this vertical perspective because, well, I know there is a God and what He's done for me. I mean, it's about a life centered on God. And this kind of perspective, this vertical perspective, is what gives me the strength to feel joy in trials no matter what happens because we know and because we're confident that our God is still in control. True joy begins with a relationship with Jesus. That's where it starts. I mean, you can't find true joy in your life without a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, why can Paul live as he lived? I mean, why can he write with such enthusiasm and pray with such joy from prison? It's because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 5, he says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, that should be good news for anybody here today. Because here's what Paul is saying to this, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're discouraged with your progress, or you're discouraged with the progress of the decisions that your kids are making in their life right now, God's not finished with you yet. And if you're breathing, if they're still breathing... God's not done with you, and he's not done with them yet. I mean, his work for you began on the cross. I mean, his work in you began the day you invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And now that you have the Holy Spirit in you, now that you have the presence of God in your life, God is going to spend the rest of your life on this earth shaping you and transforming you so that every day, a little bit more, you just start looking like Jesus in the things that you do. I mean... You know, we're going to see that. We, we've got 12 people that are scheduled to go with us to Haiti in February of this year and going to serve with our, our ministry partner, Nehemiah Vision Ministries. They're going to come back different people. Like God uses opportunities like that to shape us. Um, you know, we could ask some of those that we saw in the Safe Families video, I mean, what those experiences have meant to them even in their faith and in their life. Again, God uses those experiences. We've got a great opportunity coming up this Thanksgiving and Christmas season to partner with a local ministry, Good Samaritan, uh, as they support a number of people in need across Hamilton County. You know, I mean, they need something like 3,300 volunteers over the next few weeks to deliver meals and to get gifts ready, you know, for, for their big ministry uh, right here in this community. And again, it's help right here in Hamilton County. And you can get involved with things like that. And as you serve, and you know this, Many of you know this. As you serve, you're just opening up your life, saying, hey, God, you can use me. You can shape me and transform me. And that's the work that he wants to do in every one of us until the day he takes us home or until the day that Jesus comes back. Verse 7, Paul writes, It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And, and then notice this, whether I'm in chains, he's calling out the obvious in his life because he's in prison, or defending and confirming the gospel, All of you share in God's grace with me. Notice that he says, and in some translations it says, even though I'm in chains. 
I mean, Paul knows that his friends in Philippi are going to be really concerned when they learn about his conditions, you know, from this prison. And he knows they're going to make assumptions. And so he says, hey, I'm in chains, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything for me. I mean, just stop there for a second. And let's let's just ask this. I mean, do you think Paul wants it like this? I mean, if he really had a choice, do you think he would choose prison or do you think he would choose freedom? Now, I'd, I'd think freedom. You know, I, I think he'd, be, he'd rather be out, you know, sharing the gospel message on the streets. But let me ask you this. Have you ever found yourself or do you find yourself in a situation today where you're in one place and you wish you could make a change? I mean, just something you would say, you know, God, I know this is where you would have me right now, but I'd rather be here or there. I mean, maybe you're in middle school right now. And you think, I'd rather be in high school. Or, or maybe you're in college right now, and, well, you're at that time of the semester, and you know what's coming over the next few weeks. And so even though you're in college and you might enjoy it, you'd rather be a graduate, you know, not have to do what you're doing right now. Uh, if you have one job, there's a really good chance you wish you had another job. Uh, some of you live in a house in one subdivision when you wish you lived in a bigger house in a bigger subdivision. Some of you here today are in a struggling marriage, and you might wish that you were in his marriage or her marriage. You know, just kind of a few things to keep in one is, and I heard one pastor say, you know, we all have these what's in our life, and we don't necessarily understand the why's. We do. We all have these what's. You know, and like the Apostle Paul, we've got something going on in our life, and we're not really excited about it. And if we could change it, we could. I mean, we've got these what's. And so you regularly ask, I regularly ask, God, why don't you do something about this? You know, God, why do you have me here? Or why don't you make a change? You know, why, why does it have to be like this for me? I mean, just know this. God always has a why behind the what. He does. He always has a why. I mean, he doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste circumstances or scenarios. I mean, the Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He can take what the enemy meant for evil and he can turn it into good. He can take an attack in your life and turn it into something that shapes your character. God always has wise. But here's what's important to know and to understand. You don't have to understand the whys in order to trust God in the what's. I mean, you and I, we, we don't have to understand why to really trust God. Because we can demand on him answers all we want. It doesn't mean we're going to get them. But here's what Solomon encourages us to do in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Quit trying to figure everything out. I'm saying that to myself too. In all your ways, submit to him. Humble yourself. Look to God and he will make your paths straight. I don't have to understand in order to trust. And you don't either. And so what I want to do today with chapter one is is to kind of give you a couple of things to think about. And I I hope that I've already done that uh, a little bit. A couple of things to consider for your life today. Because if you're in a place today, if you're here right now and, and there is something going on in your life or around your life that you don't understand... I want to give you a question. I want to give you a question to think about, a question to process, uh, a question that might help you change the way that you see things to give you a shift of perspective. Because let's just suppose that something happens. And again, some of you are there right now. You've already got something that's coming to your mind. 
something that you're trying to process through and you want to have faith and you want to trust God, but you're upset, you're angry, you're hurt, you're frustrated, and you're tired of asking why. And to be real honest with yourself, you've been asking why a lot. I want to challenge you with this. Instead of asking why, here's your question. What would it look like for you to start asking, okay, God, now what? I don't understand the situation I'm in. And even though you may not like where you are right now, even if you say, hey, I don't want to be here, it's the ability to refrain from asking God why and to instead ask, now what? I mean, I don't understand. Again, I don't want to be here. And I'm doing everything in my power to trust you, God. And so instead of asking why, to start asking and maybe even praying, now what? Look at verse 12. Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me... Now stop there for just a second. Let me just ask you this. What has happened to you? I mean, what's that what for you? I mean, not necessarily what you did, but what has happened to you? Because for some of you, maybe you feel like you're the victim of, of something unfortunate because maybe you're here today and you lost your job this week. Or you've been out of work for a while and maybe you had a promising lead and you got passed over for a job once again. Maybe you're in a mess financially right now. And because of that, you're behind on your mortgage or maybe behind on your rent and you really have no idea what next month is going to hold. I mean, maybe you've got a spouse that came to you and said, hey, it's over. I'm not doing this for another year. Or you got an update on financial aid or something and you're not sure there's going to be enough money to get you through another semester or through another year. I mean, whatever it is, something's happened. The outlook is really rough. I mean, it's something you didn't plan on. Look what Paul says. What has happened to me, I'm in chains, I'm in prison. And then he says, has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul says, yes, I'm in prison. And I know that from your perspective, it looks bad. But then he says, but it has really served to advance the gospel. Now, this word advance in the Greek is a military term. Uh, It's a term that is used to describe kind of an aggressive move forward, an advance in position. I mean, this word was used to describe the rangers or the first responders that go out in front of the rest of the troops and clear the obstacles, clear the underbush so that the troops can aggressively advance in their position. And so Paul is saying, hey, what looks really bad? Me in prison, me in chains is actually something that God is using and doing something through. He says, what has happened to me? brothers and sisters, has really served to advance the gospel. Think about that. I mean, think about how many times in life you and I are going to find ourselves, yourself in a place where where you say and you want to cry out to God, you know, this is good. You know, I don't see God anywhere. Hello. I mean, are you out there, God? I mean, why would you allow me to go through something like this? I mean, what good could possibly come from this today? I want to challenge you in your thinking and in your faith and in your heart to stop and consider what a change or a shift in perspective could mean to you. And instead of giving up on God or giving in on God, to take a moment and realize that our God is big enough, that that He is always there, that He is there for you right now, even here today in your life, that we serve a God who can turn our setbacks into great opportunities. He can take something bad in your life and turn it into something good. And, And like Paul, you might feel like you've got a prison cell of your own right now. God can give your prison cell a purpose. That our God can work in such ways with such power that He can even give your pain and even some of your suffering in your life right now 
he can give it purpose. Uh, as I mentioned a second ago, you know, this delivery company that I used to work uh, at in high school and college was called Henry's Washer Service. That'll get you a lot of dates, you know. I mean, you just throw that out in conversation. But, but I, so I worked at this company. I started there when I was in high school, and, uh, and it was tough. I mean, for a, a young guy, I mean, every single Saturday from 7 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I was working at Henry's. I mean, all my friends, at least it appeared, were out doing their own thing, having fun. But every Saturday, I'm not sleeping in. I'm getting up early. And so I worked for this appliance company. And here's my job for the first year. I clean used appliances. Now, I don't know if you know what happens to a refrigerator when you unplug it and then leave the door shut for a few weeks. Things grow. All right, and that's what I did every single Saturday. And then when the summer came around, I did that during the summer. And after a while, and after I proved myself a bit, I actually was able to start going out on these deliveries, all right, of washers and dryers and refrigerators and dishwashers and all these things. And, and again, it was better than that. But for me, again, I, I was working full-time in the summer as a high school kid and even into college. And, again, I was always looking at other people thinking, you know, look what they get to do and here's what I'm doing. And, and little did I realize over the years as I was learning a little bit about plumbing and learning a little bit about electrical and learning things about hard work, you know, and, and helping to pay to get through college, how God was even using or even how those circumstances for me were, they had a greater benefit that I can look back and realize and be appreciative of today. I mean, you may not see it or believe it right now with your life, but God can give your pain and some of your frustration and some of your questions a purpose. I mean, you and I are going to have times in our lives that are painful and frightening and times that don't make sense. And in those times, you might not even feel like God is there, but He is. He's always with us. And He can give your pain. He can even give your prison cell a purpose. And today, if you'll just begin the process of changing the way that you look at things, really digging into Scripture, I mean, if you'll take the right amount of time to consider Paul and his relationship with Jesus Christ and his perspective on life, I believe that God can give you new eyes to see things in a whole new way. He can give you new ears to hear things that you've never heard before, and He can give you the power to find your way through any difficult situation, and He can give you the hope to keep on going. I mean, the Spirit of God can work with such strength in your life. That when you're tempted to ask, why, why God, why me, why do I have to be here? He can shift your thinking and your perspective. So instead of asking why, you start asking, now what? Now what? Where to go from here? Verse 13, Paul says, as a result, as a result of me in prison, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now we look at this and you think this has to be an error. I mean, for Paul to say, I mean, he's in chains for preaching Christ. He's being punished by Rome, the great Satan of the day. I mean, don't you think he meant to say, you know, I am chained down in prison right now when I ought to be out there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't say that. Because who's Paul chained to? I mean, again, his heart is to reach the people of Rome. He's in prison, and you'd think this would be a real downer for him. But here's what he discovered. While on house arrest, Paul is chained to four different guards, six hours each throughout the day. And these weren't just any guards. These weren't just any people. These were members of the Praetorian Guard, the Imperial Guard of Rome. I mean, you know, these were people with influence. These were people with power and authority. And these elite soldiers were housed in the emperor's palace. And Paul got to talk their ear off every single day. Guess what God's doing with Paul's situation? He's given Paul a captive audience with some of the most influential, most important leaders of Rome in this time. And what do you think they talked about every single day? 
Things happen in life. And let's be honest, whether it's in your life or in someone else's life, there are things that happen in and around us, unfortunate things that happen to good people, people like you and me. And you just can't help but scratch your head and wonder, where's God in this? I mean, what good could possibly come out of something like this? Um, Some of you know David and Karen Coomer. They've been going to Genesis for a while now, and they're kids and great people, and they serve back in our Gen Kids ministry. This this isn't the Coomers, by the way. Um, But I think it was early this summer when uh, Karen came up to me one Sunday morning here and and sort of emotional, telling me about her 29-year-old brother, Craig. Um, Now bring the picture back. Uh, Craig's on the picture. Uh, Craig's married. He's got two boys, ages eight and six. And earlier this summer, Craig, this 29-year-old young man, found out that he has stage four esophageal cancer and that it has spread to his lymph nodes and also to his spine. 29 years old. And the doctors told him that even with aggressive treatment, uh, that he'd be lucky if he lived for another year. Uh, Craig had to leave his job this summer immediately and go on disability and with limited health insurance and finances. I mean, you can only imagine the emotional and the financial stress uh, that this caused to this particular family. Um, I I can't tell you how many times Karen met me on a Sunday morning with different updates uh, for me about her brother and and their family. And it was just amazing uh, to hear how all of the people of the greater Fort Wayne area uh, were rallying around Craig and his family, uh, people, churches, organizations provided food, provided school supplies and clothing for their family. Um, Someone took care of paying for their kids' lunches for an entire school year. Uh, People from his work came out and did some needed improvement on their homes. Uh, A golf outing raised an additional $6,500. Businesses donated percentages of their sales on particular days to this family. And one foundation stepped in this fall and awarded the family a trip to Disney World. Why do good things? Bad things happen to people? I don't know. Sometimes I wish I did. But the truth is that we've all got these what's in our life. We've all got these circumstances. Some like this, maybe some for you, maybe they don't feel as great. But when you're left in them, you can't help but wonder why. And even when we don't understand, you know, God always has a why. I mean, He always has a way, and His ways are higher than our ways, and God has a purpose for every life and every situation on this earth. You don't have to understand the what to trust God, to trust God with the why. Uh, Craig's a Christian. In fact, Karen will tell you that it's almost been a little annoying to see how faithful and trusting he has been all throughout this, even as people and his own family are suffering uh, with this news. And Craig just kept saying, you know what, if I live, I win. But if I die, I win because I get to go spend eternity uh, with my Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Karen met me uh, by the Gen Kids check-in desk uh, a little over a month ago, um, very enthusiastically, that Craig had gone in for a recent checkup last month where his doctor told him that he is 100% cancer-free in his esophagus and that it is rapidly decreasing in other parts of his body. And the doctor went so far as to say, um, I have every reason to believe that over the next couple of months we'll be able to pronounce you cancer-free. And then he said, whoever you pray to, keep praying, because this, my friend, is a medical miracle. God can turn bad things into really good things. Uh, He can give your pain and your suffering and your situation a purpose, and he is always working in every way, shape, or form to bring glory to his name. Now, that doesn't mean 
that things are always going to work out like this story or that they're always going to work out the way that we would hope they would. I mean, it doesn't mean that every question that we have this side of heaven is going to be answered. And some of you are here today and you're going through an extremely difficult time in your life right now. And it's taking everything that you have to hold it together. And if that's where you are today, I mean, please hear me to say this, that God can give you the strength to find your way through. I mean, your pain has a purpose. And you may not understand why, and no one may be even able to come close to help you understand your circumstances. But He is always working, and He is always present, and He's got a purpose for your life, and He loves you more than you can imagine, and He just asks you to trust. And over and over again, hear Him say, Submit, and stay humble, and keep your eyes on Me, and He'll show us the way through. I mean, your pain, your misery, your grief, like with Paul, it can be a part of your ministry. God can give you a ministry. I mean, God gave Paul an audience with the soldiers that he was chained to in prison. And he gave people like Craig and his family an audience all around northeast Indiana and even here today, this morning. You might be going through something in your life right now, and guess what? God wants to give you a captive audience too. And for you, your audience might be your spouse. Your audience might be your children. It could be your neighbors. It could be the rest of your family. But God wants to give you an audience too and He wants to give you opportunities to shine before your friends uh, so that they might see your faith and trust in God and He can give you the opportunity to say to others that here's what God did or is doing for me and He can do the same for you. You know, as C.S. Lewis once said, more than we can understand, suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Look at verse 14. Paul says, And because of my chains... Here's some of the results. Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I mean, not only was the gospel being proclaimed or spread through Paul's contacts in prison, but his efforts were being multiplied outside of the prison too. I mean, and now God is using Paul's words to encourage the Philippians. And 2,000 years later, I believe that maybe for someone here today, God's going to use these words to encourage you too. But do you see the way that Paul thinks? I mean, do you see his perspective? We've all got these what's and we want to know why. And maybe you're here today and you're enduring some difficult times too and you want to know why. God always has a why. I just can't tell you what it is. But He doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste a life. He doesn't waste circumstances or even pain. God's ways are higher than our ways. And even when we can't see it, He always has a why. He is always looking to bring glory to Himself through you and your situation. You don't have to understand the why in order to trust God with where you are right now. He can give you that perspective. And He can give you a perspective that will change the way that you see things. He can give you the ability to see and believe like Paul did. And He can enlighten you to the secret ingredient for Paul. What's that secret ingredient again? Well, it's in Philippians 1.21. And Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He says, if I live, I win. But if I die, I'll spend eternity with my Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about perspective. It's a shift in the way that you see things. And it begins with a personal relationship with Jesus. What could that mean to you? What could that mean for you today to be reminded of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ? Or what would it look like for you to take that step, that bold step in your life, to invite Him to be your Lord and Savior. Will you pray with me?
God, we thank you for these important truths today and uh, for these important reminders. And, well, again, for some, they're reminders, but maybe some here today, it's new. As we pray right now, I just want to ask you, how many of you have a what in your life? I mean, you've got a situation, you've got a circumstance, maybe it's something that's been with you for a long time, maybe it's something very new, very recent. And you've been asking why. If you've been asking why, I don't want you to feel guilty about that. I ask why, and I believe that the Bible says that our God wants us to be real with Him. No phonies. But you've been asking why because you're hurting, because you're frustrated, because you're scared. I want you to know that our God's okay with that. And I want to give you just a moment. Tell God how you hurt or why you hurt today. Just take a moment right now, just just in your own place. Just tell God how or why you hurt right now. You can have the confidence today and every day that our God can take that. He can take that kind of honesty with you and from you. But I want to encourage you today uh, to reflect on those words of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, even as we pray right now where Solomon says, Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But then he says, In all your ways submit to Him. What would it mean for you to submit to God today? humble yourself before Him today as a way of saying, I don't understand, but I trust You. And maybe instead of asking why, what would it mean to start asking and praying, now what? Because who's the audience that God has given you today? How might God want to bring glory to Himself through your situation? Is it a change in attitude or even a a shift in perspective that might unleash a, a greater healing of God in your life and it begins right here in this room right now? To just pray, God, I don't understand, but I trust You and my faith is in You and my eyes are on You. Now what? Paul said to live as Christ, to die as gain. What does it mean for you to live for Jesus Christ today? But above any other name, above anything in this world right now. Tell God you'll do that for him. Tell God you need that work in your life. Ask God to give you that kind of faith here right now. And for those of you here today that don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I realize that it might be a real stretch, a great step of faith for you to to reach out and to invite Jesus Christ into your life. But I got to tell you that true joy, God's work and power in you, it begins when you invite Him to be your Lord and Savior. And He wants to do that for you. He loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done or even what's going on in your life right now. If you'll just open up your heart, if you'll surrender your life to Him, He'll come in and He can change things for the good, for always, and give you a new perspective. So I want to give you just an opportunity to do that right now. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just where you are right now in your own seat. You can pray it silently if you want. God, I need your love and forgiveness in my life. 
I need your help and power. God, forgive me of my sins today. I'm laying down my life before you. Come into my heart. Change my day and my life. God, I, I thank you for these prayers offered up to you, these realizations all throughout the room right now. I pray that you'd give us faith to believe that you will do what you say you will do. Thank you for these words from Philippians. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.